The Start On Demand. On demand. Zach Caleros has signed a two-year extension with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But what then happens to Matt Nichols? A study has linked selfies to narcissism. Yes, shocking, I know. Another study, meanwhile, says baby boomers are more sensitive than millennials. And it's mild out, which is great, unseasonably mild, but it's kind of gross outside. Streets are dirty, sidewalks are dirty, which means your car is dirty, and probably your clothes. So do you prefer mild and slushy, or colder and cleaner? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, January 28th podcast for The Start. You're always admonishing me, or at least pointing out the fact I'm always on Twitter. I went for a 90-minute nap yesterday and afternoon. And who called it in to you, too? Yeah, Loren McNabb. <laughs> I, did, I wake baby. up and I pick up my phone, <laughs> and it's like, this is why I never sleep. Because <laughs> you because you fear missing the I information? Fear, it's the fear of missing out. Wow. Con- congratulations to Zach Caleros and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for consummating their relationship for the next Two seasons. Zach Caleros uh, will join Jeff Courier this morning at 1020. I don't know why he's not on our show, but uh, that's a whole other conversation. I think he's flying in or driving or... I don't think he's driving. (laughs) I don't think he's driving. He's making his way to Winnipeg because he's got some appearances to make today. He's going to be signing even autographs, I believe, at some point. uh, 5 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the Bomber Store at IG Field. Yeah, so if you've got one of those people who weren't sure which quarterback jersey to get or where to go with your purchase, that's one route to take. I did think it was really nice, and I felt it was a bittersweet moment yesterday in the sense of you've signed Caleros, and, and that obviously puts the future of Matt Nichols in this football club um, well, there is no future, I would argue. Is that fair? I think that's fair. It would be uh, next to impossible for the Blue Bombers to bring back Nat, Matt Nichols as a second quarterback. At this point, he would be the backup. Uh, the The salary cap simply doesn't allow that. So uh, lots of folks uh, having Matt Nichols in their thoughts, in their tweets, in their expressions of delight that the Blue Bombers have signed Caleros, but at the same time realizing that means saying goodbye to Matt Nichols, someone who's been a big part of the community for the last uh, four or five years. Yeah, is there uh, any news that so instantly has that kind of simultaneous reaction? Like, yeah, Caleros, oh, what about Mm -hmm. Matt Nichols, right? Because we put that out on our 680CJOB Instagram, and one of our listeners, I believe it was Maureen, said exactly that. What about Matt Nichols now? What happens? Well, that's just that's just the way it goes in uh, professional sports. Quite often, you'll make a trade to improve uh, your football team or your hockey team. And if you want a good player, you usually have to give up a good player. And that's what the Bombers have done in essence here is even though they acquired Zach Caleros for a draft pick uh, and little else last year. They've essentially traded Zach Caleros for Matt Nichols because Matt Nichols will now have to move on because the Blue Bombers will not have the money required to secure the services of both players. Uh, Chris Strevler's situation still up in the air, as we'll hear from Bob Irving later on this morning in Breakfast with the Bombers. Uh, Bob fully expects that Chris Strevler will get an opportunity in the National Football League and not to expect him back in blue and gold either. So, At the end of the day, we hadn't 
an embarrassment of riches, really, by the time we got to the oh, Grey Cup, right? You had no, those three absolutely. folks on the field, Matt Nichols coaching them through on the side. And so everybody knew, including all three of them, you can't bring that all back together. That just doesn't happen. No, that was a one-shot deal. Sort of like the the Paul Stastny trade when the Jets brought him in in 2017, 2018 for the playoff run. It was going to be super difficult for the Jets to secure Stastny long-term. So it was sort of, we're here for a good time, not a long time. Let's see what we can pull off. And it really paid off for the Blue Bombers. And the pressure's off. Don't you think a little bit now? Sure. Uh, now that the Grey Cup is has been won and uh, they'll raise a banner at the home opener. Is there as much pressure on this team? I would say definitely not, but doesn't mean you're not going for a repeat. Isn't there, though, with the level of talent that returns? I know we don't have those same, the big three at quarterback or two, I guess, that we're actually playing, but there, the pressure to me exists because now you've seen what they can do with mm-hmm. that roster. Right. And that maybe that doesn't mean you think they'll get back to the great cup, but you do, you do not want them to come out of the gates like they maybe have in previous years. Absolutely. No question about that. But is the, is the expectation realistic for them to repeat? Obviously yes. that's their goal. You know goal. what? I'm going to make that my that's expectation. Your expectation. I'm just going to be just super on it for the next nine, 10 months. Well, just, just, re- just realize what a, just <laughs> every realize. Tuesday at seven thirty seven. I'm <laughs> Yes. You'd be like, where's my second cup? <laughs> I don't mean wow. coffee. I mean right. great cup, baby. Right. Yeah, I'm just going to turn it up. Just realize the role that Chris Trevler played was gigantic in well, that. Well, then we'll call him every once in a while. I will bug him. <laughs> <laughs> Rip up that uh, million-dollar contract you just got in the NFL and, yeah. and come and see us here in you Winnipeg. He made the mistake of giving us his cell number, so... It's on you, Streveler. <laughs> do you have a cell number? I think, I think we do. Oh, my God. Well, well start texting. <laughs> Should I start now? <laughs> Should probably start right now. Is he on California time? I can't remember. Uh, uh, South Dakota, isn't he? Or somewhere? I think he's somewhere in the Midwest. He should be okay. Actually, he was traveling in Europe, he told us, I think, Brett. Remember over Christmas when we spoke with him and then the holidays? So yeah. Wasn't that Wolotarski? You know he's awake. I'll call him now. Oh, okay, phone him now. Yeah, and then he was heading down to Denver, I believe. Oh, okay. So yeah. Uh, so once again, Zach Calero is going to be on with Jeff Courier at 1020 this morning. And then he will be, uh, there will be a media briefing at IG Field at 11 o'clock. And Zach will be signing autographs from 5 until 7 p.m. at the Bomber Store at IG Field. Are selfies the tool of the narcissist? Well, what say you? Yeah, I, re- I reluctantly <laughs> say yes. You do? Because I am guilty as charged. And, and this study that you've found here that Drex was talking about in the shift with Drex overnight has given me pause as Uh-oh. to my social media practices. Well, oh there's my goodness. two studies that have come out in the past few months. One's more recently this month is published in the Computers in Human Behavior magazine, and they found there might be a link between people who take selfies and narcissism. So they looked at 470 American students. It's a pretty small study at this point, and they found what's known as grandiose narcissism. So that's the type where you have an overinflated ego and a big sense of self-importance. That grandiose narcissism could be linked to selfie behavior. So if you know somebody who posts a lot of selfies, takes a lot of selfies, they might have this type of narcissism. And in the study, they actually found more people had this type of narcissism in Northeast United States than the Midwest. So there's like a Geographical. So if you want to say, oh, those Easterners or Toronto types or all the rest, there might might be accurate. It might be fun to at least use that. But they linked the selfies with narcissism. And then we were looking back and and in a conversation Drex was having about this on the overnight shift with Drex. 
There was a different study done uh, over the past few weeks, and it looked at narcissism as well, but the age differences with narcissism. So we often, I think, assume the millennials, mm-hmm. you know, anyone, un- what is that, under, basically under us, under 40, under 30, under 35? Yeah, I think it's under 30-ish. Yeah, 30-ish. Uh, we all, I think we all think they're more narcissistic because of the selfie trend and, and social media. And they actually found older generations, so the baby boomers, tend to be more sensitive. And that anyone born in the 20th century had higher levels of hypersensitivity, higher levels of willfulness, or the tendency to impose their opinions on others. So as someone wrote in the article, who's the snowflake now? <laughs> Yeah. The older generation or the younger one? Yeah, that's interesting. I could with the sensitivity thing. I wonder if it's because millennials, maybe like that. That was a generation where it was more about they they'd get trophies for just for you know like an A for effort kind mm-hmm. of thing. Where you know the Timbits generation where there's no winner, right? Everyone's just taught that you're you're good, you're cool, you're, you're a great. winner, you're and awesome. maybe they just believe. That they're they're cool and they're not going to let anything bother them, whereas boomers, you know, I would think maybe were you know taught to, to be ashamed of themselves or perhaps. tougher, right? You yeah. didn't have you had you had clear winners and losers and rules, and you walked uphill both ways carrying your siblings on your back yeah. and like you know those kinds of things. But as far as the selfie thing goes, um, like I said, this is going to make me sort of pause on my selfie practices because I do post a lot of selfies. I admit it. If you go to my Instagram page and I looked at it this morning and I'm scrolling through and going, oh my God. <laughs> I felt but- bad. I was basically being like, Brett, <laughs> this headline is about you. But if you, I'm trying to think about this in a general sense. I'm old enough to remember the good old slideshows when people would go on their trips uh, abroad or to California and then you'd get together and they'd set up the big slide projector and screen and you sit and watch their pictures from their trip. What pictures are better of just stuff or with people in them? And and doesn't a, a picture with a person in it overall have more appeal in the first place? Let's eliminate the selfie issue altogether. I think we're drawn to enjoy a picture of someone that we know first and foremost versus just a landscape. Are we not? Right, but are you, so is it just a picture of you for the sake of you looking good? Is it a picture from you because you're at the Jets game where you're no, out no, doing something different? I was just trying to take a or? step back from that first just to qualify the whole idea oh, yeah, you'd like a of picture. what makes yeah. a, a more engaging picture with someone in it or just a picture of, you know, the Forks or Esplanade Riel. Those can be very beautiful pictures and engaging, but are pictures not more engaging with a human being in them? And in particular, yeah. someone that you know. hundred percent. Okay. So in this era of where it's all about getting the clicks and getting the notice, there is a combination and you could see, I'm just thinking out loud here, the whole narcissistic thing. You could make a extreme, if not a very simple and easy argument that, yes, that's a narcissistic practice in itself, trying to get the likes and the attention online. But in terms of composing a better picture, one that's more engaging, it inherently contains a human being for the most part, for most people to engage with it. For sure. And and I think that there's also a line, and anyone can weigh in on this, with the selfie, do you judge certain types of selfies differently? Like ah, if no, somebody is I on think. a trip and you're traveling alone or you're on the, at the Great Wall of China or you're, you know, at, at Victoria Falls or you're somewhere really cool and you're alone, 
you might take a picture of yourself in front of those falls. And I'm and am I finding that being like self-involved versus the one that I've lamented before, like the the in the mirror photo of with my duck face lips, you know, like look. How I think good that I look. might be a different that's story a diff- that's altogether. That's a different kind of I, I photo. Think you're okay, right. well, let me back into this conversation because I was trying to explain that uh, the pause that I'm taking on my selfie practices. You referenced the bathroom one. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I want to jump back in because I am guilty of that. But when I post the selfies, I try to do it for a purpose other than, hey, look at me. Like on Saturday, I went to see the guys from Zuike. Right. They were in last week. Talk, talking to us about their apparel, their loungewear, their heritage, their culture. So I bought a hat and I posted a selfie of me wearing said hat on my Instagram because I like to do that. It's like, hey, here's another local product. Yeah. Go support it. Or I'll post selfies for comedic purposes. Like when I gave myself a clean shave for Halloween for the first time in mm-hmm. years for my costume That's and I totally was horrified. Fair. Or yeah. I like posting selfies of me with my dog or with dogs, not my dogs. But every so often I'll post one just because I think, hey, I actually look kind of all right in this outfit. So I'm going to celebrate that for a moment. But after reading all of this, I think maybe I'll stand down from that particular practice because I don't want to look like I have narcissistic personality disorder. But just because you post selfies doesn't mean you have that. It just means it's linked to some forms of narcissism. If you have narcissistic personality disorder, it means you have an inflated sense of self-importance, like Loren said, and you lack empathy for others. Whereas I think I have too much empathy. I don't know how you gather that from a photo of someone anyway. Oh, and is there, again, so in putting the boomers versus millennials back into this conversation, there are a ton of people who put their opinions online or social media for the very reason of look how smart I am. You know, click on this to see if you like what I'm saying or the articles I'm sharing or how I'm weighing in on this. So is that not a little bit narcissistic too? Like, I look good, like my photo, I sound smart, like my opinion. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, like we, we were just having a side conversation yesterday about how people get on their high horse on social media. It doesn't matter what, and I'm not going to bring up what specific examples here, but it doesn't matter what the topic is. Uh, people just want to prove how pious they are, and that drives me nuts. And I guess that could be a form of narcissism, too. I had never really thought about that, Loren. But in terms of the pictures, yeah, I think it's the ones where it's like the forced pose. I don't think you need to worry about it. I don't think this is something you need to curtail. I don't think you like, need to worry about it Every time I've either. seen one of your photos, and I do hate the mirror photos, yeah. generally speaking, that's a generalized rule of yeah. mine. Yeah. But you're, you're always, they're always like, I just got a new shirt, or I'm proud of Manitoba, check out this thing. I've never seen you purse your lips together and say, come hither. <laughs> Or whatever. Come might, hither. Might be going through Brett's mind. Come hither with his lips all. I might have to. Re- the Zoolander? What is that Zoolander one? The Zoolander look. Which one is that? The, uh, the, oh, Blue, Blue Steel. Steel. Yes. I, I haven't seen that. You know what? Go out and do that for me. Okay. And then oh, I will judge. A Blue Steel selfie with the caption, Come, Come hither, ladies. In, a, in, a, in the bathroom with your shower curtain and dirty towel hanging please, over the tower rod. Please, please leave the toilet seat up to you in the background while you're at it. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. It's been an unusually mild January, which is great, but it's kind of gross out there. Which do you prefer, mild and slushy or colder and cleaner? We've also put that poll up on our 680 CJOB Facebook page, on our 680 CJOB Twitter, and on our Instagram story. So Jeff Braun is here, Cam Poitras, Jeff Forte, Jeff Braun... Which do you prefer? Mild and slushy by a country mile. Not even, not even close. I don't, it doesn't, I just, 
It doesn't seem like it's dirty to me either, but I've been just not paying attention. No? No, I'd much rather just be able to walk outside and be comfortable than anything else. Oh, it's dirty. My shoes are dirty. <laughs> yeah, like I put my boots on this morning and I thought, I just cleaned these and it looks like like I sprayed, like I poured up just a flower pot of mud it, on them. It's like when you're riding a bike in the mud and it, you get that backsplash on the back yes. of your coat. That's how I feel over the past few weeks. Like my pants and my shoes. You do a better job of w- watching where you're walking. In. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's I, no... I think it's because I pound through there. Like I'm walking like this, just mad all the time. Angry walking. Splashes <laughs> <laughs> everywhere. Well, and there are no snowbanks to do the uh, Manitoba shoe shine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Manitoba shoe shine. Yeah, that's when you take advantage of that snow bank and you stick your toe in there and you kind of move it back and forth and it's like, oh my gosh, good as new. <laughs> so you don't have that opportunity. It is sort of gross. And if you have dogs that go outside, you've got to catch them at the door before they come inside. You got to wipe their paws. Otherwise, they're making them. I'm realizing better I'm than the them freezing to death. <laughs> in this room, who has that problem? Yeah. Cam, what do you think? <laughs> oh, I'd take. Mild. I'll take this because you know the worst part about winter to me is starting my vehicle in the middle of the cold and when it's cold like crazy outside. And so I'll, I'll take just j- being able to jump into my car and, and drive away without having to have it start or run for twenty minutes any day of the week. I'll take I'll take it. It'll be slushy, dirty. I don't care as long as it's mild. See, I'm different from that. Well, I I have command start and uh, underground parking. So Oof. so I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, but but no, last week I forget what day it was, but I drove my car. You're totally clean, my car, and I'm driving home, and that's when it was warm, and it got slushy, and my car was covered, and I'm driving home, and I'm going, should I pull over? What do I do? <laughs> what, what can I do? There's nothing you can do besides just keep going. You need a condom for your car. I wish. You need, I really wish. <laughs> Oh I God. had a full moment last week where I came into work, wasn't it? And I said, something's wrong with my headlights. Like, I couldn't see anything on the drive-in <laughs> this morning. And my husband, like, 12 hours later, he's like, yeah, they're dirty. Cake like, your car grime. is really dirty. Just wash the lights. I, if you, you only have to be a few degrees colder to get rid of this mushy, mucky, muddy stuff. So a little bit colder. Isn't there, like, a happy medium somewhere of... Nine minus nine or minus ten that would get us what we want. Yeah, like the the normal high for this time of year is minus eleven, uh, but the normal low is minus twenty two. So yeah, I find I find myself craving right now just something a little bit colder, like Loren was saying, just cold enough. Yeah. So that it's not as filthy as it is, because I do enjoy going for a nice sort of. Frosty winter walk. And it's like walking in sand right now. It feels like you're like it's harder. I'm I so can't tired. believe we're complaining about mild temperatures. <laughs> I, I never complain about it ever. This is this is baffling me. <laughs> Pat has a good uh, has a good point here though. Colder and cleaner is healthier and kills the the bugs, viruses, etc. Bacteria. You don't need the the dirty squirties. What is, what is that? <laughs> That's, That's like a windshield wash. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I hate that term for it though. It makes me just cringe. I've never heard that <laughs> before. It's so gross to me to call it dirty squirty. What, what is it? Sorry? It makes me squirm in my seat. Dirty squirty. It sounds no, like something else. Yeah, yeah. yeah it does. <laughs> I missed what it is. It's windshield wiper. Oh, food, pish yeah. pish. Oh, okay. That's what? that's pish. it. Pish pish. Pish pish. Pish pish en français. Pish pish. 
I don't know what that is. That's what my buddy calls it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same sound as the other dirty squeezes, isn't it? <laughs> That's sort of is. But you, you make a good point, Greg. It is weird that we're. Com- I'm, I don't, I'm not complaining about the weather. I'm complaining about the, the side effect of the weather. We're the- tracking the sand into your place. Yeah. yeah. Clean your place. I do. I vacuum it every single day where I come in. <laughs> my, my front carpet, I vacuum it every single day. You take your shoes off before you go inside. You're living in an apartment, yeah, right? But, yeah, but then I'm going to have, you know, crud, <laughs> I'm gonna have crud on my socks. I'm going to track that in it, too. No, hey, I hear you, man. I have to clean up all the, the dirt in front of my door every day, too. So let us know what you think. 204-780-6868. Life is hard, eh? Yeah, oh, yeah so hard. Isn't there a mat when you walk in? Clean seconds. your shoes before you walk in. I still it's track still, Yeah, Get the little rubber spats that the old guys wear that you put on your shoes when you go outside. Like galoshes. Yeah, like, like at the front of the church, Yeah, right? it's like a condom yeah. for your shoes. Those yeah. things were handy, yeah. That's a good point for Galoshes. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Zach Caleros, quarterback with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, going to be on with Jeff Courier at 10-20. And why is that, Greg Mackling? Well, that is because he's signed a new two-year contract to stay with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers after leading them to a Grey Cup victory. All sorts of questions continue surrounding the Blue Bomber roster. This certainly doesn't end their shopping list, but it, of course, fills the largest hole on their roster, quarterback being the most important position on the team. But there are other free agents that still uh, the Blue Bombers, and certainly their fans, would like to be re-signed. Ted Wyman, Winnipeg's son, joins us now. And Ted, uh, let's just put the pros button on the Caleros conversation and quarterback conversation. Does things and do things very quickly turn to Willie Jefferson now in terms of focus for the club and and for the fans of the team? Well, as it happens, Greg, I anticipated that question and I just made an inquiry a few minutes ago about that. And uh, uh, you know, I do think that things may start to change on the Willie Jefferson front soon because he did. He has been waiting on an offer from the Miami Dolphins. He did work out with them. They were the only NFL team he worked out with, and he's been. He he told me that he felt very confident that he was going to get an offer, um, and they didn't even bother trying out with other teams because they were so confident. And yet, here we are, almost a month later, and there's been no offer. So uh, it does seem like things have gone pretty quiet on that end. And as as they go quiet there and we get very close to the free agent window here in Canada, I would think maybe he may be turning his attention to come back up here. I don't know that for sure, of course, but, uh, you know, I would speculate that uh, the longer this goes along without an NFL contract, obviously, the, the more likelihood he comes back to Canada. And he has certainly expressed an uh, interest in coming back to Winnipeg. Another person we're watching to see if they come back to Winnipeg or end up in the States is, of course, one of our quarterbacks, Chris Streveler. Do we see that being a situation where he remains in the U.S. for now and we move down the road of who might be our backup? Well, the people that I've been talking to are suggesting that the, when you get three tryouts in the NFL, uh, three workouts anyways, like Chris Streveler has, the odds are pretty good that you're going to sign a contract and, and get a look. And I think that Chris obviously showed some real attributes that are very unique when he was playing for the Bombers the last two seasons. The NFL is changing its ways a little bit. They're uh, they're starting to see some real value in that uh, backup quarterback who can play kind of a utility role, run the football, maybe uh, you know even run it as a running back at times, and and even go out and catch the football and throw the football. And those are all things that Chris Streveler can do. So I think he's probably the 
the type of player that they'd like to have a look at, somebody's going to sign him. That's the way I'm thinking. But if it doesn't happen, and, you know, these things are going to come together fairly quickly, I think, um, now, because with the free agency window opening up here, these guys need their security. So I think that uh, if it doesn't happen, I, I expect Chris Trevler to be turning north again. And, and then the question will just be, can the Bombers, if he's available, and I know he wants to come back to Winnipeg, can the Bombers afford to add another quarterback at a fairly steep price after signing Kalaros? Can they afford not to, though, uh, Ted? Uh, this is the, the conversation that we had down the stretch last year, correct? The idea that it's all well and good to have someone that you believe in, but you almost need to have someone you believe in almost as much as a backup. Well, they didn't win the Grey Cup because of Zach Caleros, a quarterback. They won the Grey Cup because of their quarterback situation and many other factors, but those two players together combined to give the Bombers the best possible quarterback situation they could ask for. And that's, that's the reason that they turned their attention this way. It worked extremely well to have Strebler be the option to run the football and make all these teams honest in terms of that. And then what really, really helped the Bombers, what changed their fortunes, in my opinion, was having a player in Zach Claros who could throw the football deep, throw it accurately, uh, do it repeatedly, and change the way the Blue Bombers offense operated because once those teams were aware and afraid that they actually could get beaten over the top, they couldn't control the offensive line and the bar or the, the line, I should say, and the Bombers were able to run the football and pass the football and beat teams in many different ways. And that's just the perfect combination, in my opinion. What so, happens now with Matt Nichols? Oh, man, I don't know. I, I, you know, that's a tough one because... Matt Nichols, I'm sure, is upset. I know he's been upset for a little bit. I think that we kind of knew the Bombers were going to sign Zach Caleros last week when we heard from Nichols' agent that he'd been told that the Bombers were focusing on Caleros and that Matt Nichols was upset. You know, I I don't think the Bombers were uh, going to tell him that if they weren't going to sign Zach Caleros, let's put it that way. So he's had some time to think about this. Um, you know, I don't see a scenario, in my opinion, of how they could bring Matt Nichols back in the situation. My best guess is that he gets released and gets an opportunity to go sign somewhere else. Um, the most likely destinations being Ottawa or Toronto. We just have a minute or so here, Ted. It's impossible to ignore Zach Claros and his injury history. So for all that he did in his short time here in Winnipeg, and that is, of course, to be celebrated and appreciated, uh, the idea of going into the season with Sean McGuire as your backup, probably not super palatable to the Bombers themselves or, or fans. What options might they have outside of Strevler? I see it being McGuire, Greg, to be honest. I think that uh, they like Sean McGuire. I think he does have a good arm. I think they're quite high on him. Um, he's not the kind of player that Chris Strebler is in any way. He's not that um, dangerous running quarterback. He's more of a pure passer and a guy that I think can do that. You have to understand that with the way the rules are now, that they're only going to allow two uh, quarterbacks on the game day roster. You know, To even try to develop a guy like McGuire, you almost need to have that spot for him. So I don't. I, I think that if they can't get Chris Trevler, that I think Sean McGuire will be the backup. Um, there may be some other options out there they might look at, and then you have to convince Sean McGuire to be a practice roster player or to be put on the one-game injured list all season. That's not going to be easy either. It's a difficult situation created by the new CBA for this 
management team and the coaching staff, but, uh, you know, they're going to have to deal with what they've got and figure it out. Ted Wyman, Winnipeg Sun, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Ted, thank you for this. Always a pleasure, guys. Right now, we want to ask you the question, have you ever been to the Manitoba archives? And I can say yes. Can you guys? No. <laughs> Do you even know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. Being as old as I am, I'm making an advanced reservation for, for my fossilized bones uh, in the archives. Okay, so there you so go. The Manitoba Archives, and there's the Winnipeg Archives. Each town might have their own archive uh, location. The Manitoba Archives is home to tens of thousands of records. So photos, maps, journals, films that help document Manitoba's past. And admittedly, each time I'm there, and I've been there, I'd say at least a dozen times, there are hardly any people. So there might be some there might be some academics and I'm not knocking it. You know, there'll be academics, there might be journalists, there might be people researching their family past. But when we say you can hear a pin drop, uh-huh. it's quieter than a library, okay? And they're hoping to change that this year. They really want to invite people down. It's always open to the public, but they're adding an open Saturday once a month. And they want you to come touch, feel, ask questions about some of these documents that are at least 400 years old in some cases. And in about an hour, they're going to launch this project that's not just inviting you to the archives, but inviting you down to pull some records that you think best tell Manitoba's story. We're going to a secret fancy place (laughs) that only special people are allowed in. She has one of the coolest job titles in town. But when Kathleen Epp tells people what she does... The title keeper comes from the British tradition. ...that she's the keeper of Manitoba's centuries-old archival records. Well... It's met with a stare and a question mark and maybe a change of subject. Because why, do you think? Well, I think people just have no concept. Like when you say you're a teacher or a nurse, people kind of know what you do. And then when you say that you work at the archives or you're an archivist, people just don't know about it, right? But staff down at the building at the corner of Vaughan Street and St. Mary's are hoping this year that will change. That for the 150th, Manitobans not only pay them a visit, but choose a record that means something to them and then help create a group exhibit to honour our past. And we just really want people to contribute. We want them to choose an archival record and tell us why it matters. It might be that it's um, a film of the Blue Bombers, and you think, "Mm, I want everybody to see that. might be something from your neighborhood that looks really different than it does now and you think oh that's amazing there used to be that structure there or um, maybe your grandfather's letters from the war have been donated to the archives and you think those are really important and you want Manitobans to see them maybe your family was involved in a criminal trial or a divorce case and that changed your family and you think yeah that's an important historical document might have changed legal precedent for your province that's right and you know so i think we want to be a little bit creative about that Um, like my request to see what the archives has on minnedosa my hometown an ask that turned up maps old photos and a 140-year-old journal written by one of Minnedosa's first pioneers. Archivist Juliana Trivers reads a section. I fancy it must be the beautiful climate that makes people so contented and hopeful for the future, and to make the best even of the mosquitoes. They obviously came in summer. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right, right in the height of summer, yes. 
these when you look at this stuff, what, what's the kind of thing that excites you as an archivist? It's often letters and, and journals and accounts because that really tells you what people were feeling at the time. Um, yeah, it just really brings it to life. Like I know that she wrote this actual journal that we're looking at right now. She wrote that in a 16 by 14 shanty uh, on the Manitoba prairies, uh, you know, under quite harsh conditions, and yet she was very optimistic. The chance to not just read about Manitoba's past, but really feel its history, is perhaps the difference between the archives and a library. These are what we believe to be the oldest photographs of what is now Manitoba. Most of the records are the originals, and they don't sit on shelves. They're stored inside climate-controlled vaults under lock and key and codes. Multiple swipes to get through. It's where the keeper comes in. Kathleen's job is to not just keep the records safe, but safely share them with the public. This is a public resource. This belongs to the province of Manitoba. And I think that Manitoba's 150th year is a great way, um, a great time for us to draw attention to something that belongs to the province. All of these archives. The goal of the archives isn't just to create that physical exhibit of records near and dear to Manitobans, but records that show all the ups and downs of our past. That's part of why we're reaching out to people to say, you know, tell us what's important, tell us what to write, tell us what people need to know. You might even come here thinking you were mm-hmm. about to find something really right. cool about your family or your history or your hometown and discover, oh boy, that's not how that went because there is all sorts of things worth discussing, like um, taking of land from Indigenous yeah, people, residential schools, right. all those things yeah. are part of the story being told in here. Sure, yeah, there will be any number of elements of our history that are painful, right? Um, and they're preserved here too. And we want those things to be remembered. We need to learn from our past and we need to not erase it. So they've got a blank wall at the archives where they hope to build this exhibit over the next year in honor of Manitoba's 150th. You can go down and help contribute to it. They're going to blog about it, tweet about it. But I think in the end, you're going to see some really cool photos. And maybe you guys can think about this and I'll revisit this tomorrow. What would you go look up if you went down there? What would be the thing you researched? Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Greg Mackling, yesterday you went back to school. I did. I went to Ecole Lassette in Windsor Park to celebrate the efforts of the grade four class. They put on a bake sale to raise money for the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba. Here's a little mashup of sound. Desserts and to help kids in the hospital. There are over 130,000 kids in the hospital every year that are helped at the Children's Hospital Foundation. So what you have done with your bake sale and cookie sale was help some of those kids in a great way. So thank you very, very much for doing that. $740. Wow. Wow. That is, and how many days? Uh, 
Five days. Five days, $740. That's amazing. That's amazing. What a great accomplishment. Congratulations to everybody who was involved. If you bought baking, if you made baking, if you ate baking that somebody else bought, you participated in this. What a wonderful thing to do for other kids. hospital and I don't get to see her a lot anymore so I thought maybe a lot of people felt that way so maybe do something else for other people too. It's really kind to to think of other people and to consider what they might be going through. Did you have you ever been to children's hospital yourself? Uh only once but well fine I'm not even sure if it was a children's hospital. I've been to the hospital for checkups, but that's basically it. But you've never had to be in the hospital overnight or anything like that, right? No. So, when you saw the response from your classmates today, and when you got the response from your classmates to help out back in December, what was that like? That must have been a special feeling. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe so many people are helping us. Like. I would have asked the other class, but that would have been a lot harder because we only had five days to do this. So, and we sold out almost every day. So you sold everything that you made. Yeah. Did you learn a little bit about teamwork too? Yeah, and I mean it takes a lot of work, but thanks to everyone who helped and participated and took the recesses off to help us make the posters, to plan things. It was just very like it was very successful. Oh, and you had an advertising campaign also. Yep. Fantastic. Congratulations, Maxim. Well done, young man. This is, this is a, a wonderful thing to do and a, a great start. Yeah, well, thank you for coming. If it was $7.40, $74. If it was $7,460, I think this would be just as big a deal, no matter the dollar amount involved. For sure. It's because this group of kids came together and had an idea and they acted on it and then they got their school involved and they got their teachers and their parents involved. So everybody had a little piece of it and um, it's just an amazing, beautiful thing and it all goes back to the foundation and then the kids kind of hear a little bit about the impact that they're having and know that it's not just handing off a check, it's actually a real lasting impact and real difference that they're having. little voices singing Oh Canada en Francais. Shout out again to Maxime, Brielle, Avros, and uh, the principal at Ecole La Certe is uh, Serge Carrier, assistant principal Linda Romeo, and a uh, shout out to the grade four teachers, Mademoiselle Carol and Mademoiselle Jean Sith, along with Paula Kreitz, who you heard from. She is the uh, coordinator for annual giving and third party events coordinator at uh, the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba. And speaking of the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba, yesterday Red River Co-op donated $70,798 towards the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba's campaign to fund an indoor and outdoor play space for the child and adolescent mental health inpatient unit at HSC Winnipeg. Funds donated came from Red River Co-op's Fuel Good Day and sale of Winnipeg Blue Bombers Collector Cups, 
Football Club partnered with Red River Co-op to produce Winnipeg Blue Bombers Collector Cups featuring Adam Big Hill, Matt Nichols, and Andrew Harris. The cups were sold at Red River Co-op gas bars and food stores during the 2019 football campaign, with the cooperative donating $1 from the sale of each cup to the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba. And Red River Co-op also pledged to donate five cents of every liter of fuel sold on Fuel Good Day last year, which was September 17th. So great job to Red River Co-op and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I want to say something here. Anyone who owns a casino or something in Vegas, book these guys because they will bring an order. So that's a clip from America's Got Talent in which Diavolo, Architecture in Motion, was a top 10 finalist. What are you chuckling about there? I love the way Brett says things. Remember, Does everyone remember when we did the giveaway for the trip to Mexico? El Cid Castillo. Mm, you don't do it I as good. I, I mean, I like it's it. as close as I can Go get. Go ahead. El do my best. Cid Castillo. And now we are talking about... Diavolo. Diavolo. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got such a majestic name, so it's an incredible display of acrobatics and gymnastics with a unique tie-in to architecture. It's not quite like anything you've ever seen. So to tell us more, we spoke to the founder and creator of Diavolo, Jacques Haim, <laughs> and... We asked Jacques, what is Diavolo? You know, Diavolo is a completely different dance company. Let me tell you a little bit. Uh, in Diavolo, I'm interested in the relation and interaction between the human body and the architectural environment. How it is affecting us not only socially, but physically and emotionally. So imagine I was a French chef and I was making a Diavolo salad. Here is the recipe. I would put a little bit of everyday movement, a little bit of ballet, a little bit of modern dance, a little bit of gymnastics, a little bit of acrobacy, a little bit of martial arts, and then I will add structures, sometimes more concrete or recognized structures, and then you have it, you toss the salad, and this is Diavolo. So, Brad, what we do on stage is like a live abstract painting with themes, themes such as human struggle, human condition, chaos, order, danger, survival, resilience, freedom, destiny, destination, hope, love. That is Diavolo. But <laughs> you combine all these things. So you have the gymnastics, you have the dance, you have the acrobats, and the stage itself is a constantly changing, moving thing. You, it, you, when you mention archi- architecture, you're bringing in different pieces for these performers to jump, flip, dance, act upon. Yes, it is. It is. You know, the amazing thing is that the audience, the first 15 to 20 minutes, when they're going to look at the stage, they're not totally going to recognize exactly what they're seeing. It's a little bit like if you actually go into a restaurant and you recognize all the ingredients, but the first bite that you take, your mouth actually do not recognize exactly what actually they're testing. And then eventually it gets better and better and then they really enjoy it. So it's really this beautiful fusion of many movement vocabulary with architecture. The structure becomes uh, another performer on stage. So Jacques, you're based in Los Angeles. You do not have a Los Angeles accent. Uh, I'm from Paris, Texas. I don't recognize an accent here. Yes, I'm from uh, <laughs> I'm from uh, Paris, France. Yes, uh, I'm from Paris. How did you get your, uh, find your way to the U.S.? Did... I'm sorry. How did you find your way to the U.S.? 
Well, that's a very interesting question. Let me tell you very quickly. You know, I grew up in Paris and I was a rebel and I got kicked out of uh, six different schools. And then my parents told me, okay, Jacques, you need to go to the land of opportunity to America. That was in 1983. And I ended up into a small college in Vermont, Middlebury College. And at that time, I wanted to become an actor. Uh, but my English was so bad, so nobody could understand my English. So I had some friends in the dance department who told me, Jacques, why don't you come and take some dance classes? At least you don't have to speak. <laughs> and I thought, okay, great. That sounds wonderful. And so then I fell in love with this beautiful universal language called movement. And in a different life, I wish I could be an architect. I love the language of architecture. And so I decided to mix my two love, love for movement and love for architecture. And, uh, and that's why uh, how Diablo all started. Do you think that your journey through school system in the sense that you mentioned that you struggled and you got kicked out of class might have been because you had all this going in your head for a very long time? Because when I see the videos of Diablo, it's almost like something that one would dream of, but try, to try to put it into like action is an entirely different thing. Actually, that's a beautiful thing that you just mentioned to me. You know, I, I've been thinking about it. How come I end up this? And you probably rewrite. You know, I had a street theater group in Paris. It was a way to rebel myself, rebel against whatever I was rebelling at the time. And I was performing on top of cars and in building and climbing on top of building. And, and right away, maybe it started like this, unconsciously. And I was always attracted with the urban environment and architecture. And suddenly, you know, um, try to do something a bit different or a bit like where people don't recognize it or it feels so... You're probably right. It's all started in, in the streets uh, as a rebel. And here's what it all came out. Uh, thank God it came out like that and not like when I end up in jail. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the, the comparisons, I'm sure, to Cirque du Soleil are unavoidable. It's, it, Cirque du Soleil is kind of the base for this sort of style of performance. But you do yes. have a background in Cirque du Soleil, correct? Correct, yes. You know, a long time ago, um, Cirque du Soleil came to Los Angeles looking for different artists and they contacted me and they wanted to do something. You know, they saw exactly what I was doing, which was not really circus, not really dance, not really theater, but it has this beautiful sort of fusion. And so I started to work with them and I choreographed the show card that is at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. And, um, and the show card is a little bit like Diablo on steroids. I just wanted to ask you before we let you go, Jacques, People's appreciation for art. You've been doing this for a long time. Have you seen, in a general sense, an overall increase in the appreciation for art from different factions in society? Because for a long time, art was for the wealthy. It was for the for the rich. And now I think that people of, of all stratas are starting to get a greater appreciation for new styles of art and the classics as well. I agree with you. Uh, I, I agree with you. It's uh, when I came to this country and, you know, art was very distant and very foreign and now people slowly appreciate it. I also believe because, you know, a television has helped. You know, we were on the TV show American Got Talent uh, USA and it's a way also for the mass, you know, uh, the people in mass to really see something different. And I have to say, it's really after being on American Got Talent that audience now are coming to see what we're doing in the theater. 
because they got to see a little bit on television. So television helped. Also, our life is changing and people are more hungry for something like art that brings different things to your life. And, um, and so I think absolutely. And so that's why they have to come to the theater. There is nothing better than live performance. And no technology and phone and computers is, you know, you watch everything. But live performance, you know, there's nothing better than that. Jacques, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Uh, this has been a real pleasure, and the show looks like it's going to be simply amazing. So thank you. Thank you so, so much for having me. Jacques Heim, founder of Diablo Architecture in Motion, coming to Burton Cummings Theatre this Friday, January 31st, and you can win two tickets right now if you can tell us where was he pretending to be from. There was a moment where he switched his accent... <laughs> and he said he was from where? 204-780-6868 for your chance to go to this incredible show. It is must-see, can't miss, this Friday, Burton Cummings Theatre. Diablo. Diablo. <laughs> you say pretty good, too. It's because I'm going down like this. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.